sound back in your ear. Back in your ear. No, you're back in my ear. Back in your ear. Back in my ear. Yeah. Welcome back, dear listener, to this week's Hermanos of Horror. Like an unwanted present left outside your front door, tied with a red bow and containing koi to fill your empty pond and poison your mind. Smiley face. That's right, today we'll be talking about Joel Edgerton Egerton's 2015 film The Gift. I'm Ed, and taking you through the psychological terror with me, it's the gordo the weirdo to my Simon, willing to let bygones be bygones, my... Hermano, in law and horror, Matt. <laughs> oh, mate, there are so many things to pick apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> you already brought up Arrested Development. Brilliantly. Yeah. Young. I mean, uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to mention Arrested Development a fair amount yeah. in this. You've already thrown out a mispronunciation, which has confused me because now I'm not sure which one to go to. <laughs> oh. You could just call him Joel. Yeah, happy with that. I mean, it is a symbol normally of our reverence for someone if we mispronounce their name. I mean, we don't tend to mispronounce people that aren't particularly good. So, yeah, I don't mind that too much. I've I've never mispronounced Rob Zombie. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Um, Yeah, let's talk about the gift, dude. Yeah, but but why? But why? But why? Why the gift? Because it's week three in this particular little run, which means it's Nick's choice. And Nick oh, yeah. always gives us things that we try and read meaning into why he's chosen that film. <laughs> and then when he comes to edit them, sends us WhatsApp messages going, nope, nothing to do with that. Yeah, I mean, but he, he also has, has found a way of Getting us thinking we know what he's going to throw at oh, us. Yeah, yeah, you know, Ichi the Killer, Tetsuo Iron Man, and then the third one that he throws in, completely left field compared yeah. to that, The Gift. Oh, no, no, no. The Gift is fourth. He gave us Creep 2. Oh, of course. Which was equally really left yeah. field. He didn't give us Creep, yeah. he gave us Creep 2. He gave, he's always given us these really kind of like, here's something a bit unique that you might not have normally watched. Yeah, but he has actually this time told us why he's given it to us. He has. He has completely. Um, Yeah, because he kind of posed it to us whether we think this is a horror or not. Yeah. Which I think is kind of going to be a a debate that we run along the whole way of this. I I think it could well be. It's not the first time that we've, we've had this kind of, is it horror, isn't it a horror kind of conversation to do with the film I mean yeah. it's not even the first time that we've had it with one of Nick's choices because we were too. talking about this yeah exactly and I, I like the fact that I forgot that he had done Creep 2 but it is in my notes <laughs> I, I have written it down yeah, yeah good work good work uh, but his other two like uh, Tetsuo and Ichi that yeah man yeah you're not going to ever distribute their, their horrors but we've done plenty like um, anytime we do one of Mr Astor's work 
But I mean, well, the answer to that is always it's not a horror. It's hmm. a heartwarming family drama. Because that, that's what comes from the man himself. Who, yeah. yeah. Um, the Lighthouse, we debated whether that was a horror. Neon Demon, yeah. we debated whether that was a horror. Bone Tomahawk, we debated whether it was a horror. I mean, are we getting to the point where we're now questioning if horror actually exists? <laughs> Might this be the last podcast as we decide there is no place for a podcast in horror? <laughs> as in fact, there is, there is nothing no horror. is horror. It is merely... It's just the Hermanos of? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this Hermano. Hermano. For anyone who hasn't seen Arrested Development, it's it's going to be a little bit of a weird episode. So normally when mm. we say, if you haven't seen the film, go and watch the film, I'm actually going to say go and watch Arrested Development and then come back. Which, if you haven't podcast. seen it, is not a horror. It's not a horror. <laughs> Very hard to swing that one as a horror. Exactly. But that leads neatly into uh, what what do we consider to be the context for horror? If we're going to be debating whether this is a horror or not. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because I think you could very easily say that for a horror film to be a horror film, it has to scare you. But I actually don't believe that to be the case. And I think I've said before on the podcast, there are horror films that I absolutely love that do not scare me. At the end of the day, we introduced the fear factor into the the rating system to capture that and to separate and delineate from the horror and not from the horror so that we could say that The Shawshank Redemption is a good film, but it's not a horror and it wouldn't score highly in, in our particular rating system. And we've had a few films that have fallen foul of that, but The Exorcist, there's no way you're not giving that a high fear factor. No, and this is where the, the whole thing... I mean, whenever we've come into rating uh, a film, we talk about fear factor. It's things that we've brought up are things like tension. You know, a, a film mm-hmm. can not scare you, but it could be that the tension is so high. And the, the one that comes to mind for me is Hounds of Love, which I it was one of my top ten of the tens. Um, yes. Oh, yes, oh, the Kate oh. Bush music video. <laughs> but the, the horrendous horror film from Australia, Hounds of Love, is um, one of the most tense experiences I've had watching a film. So if I was to score it, it would have a very high fear factor, even though there were no kind of outright scares hmm. going on in it. This is true. But that's also not the only criteria. Like, no. We can't just say that... To be a horror, you get a high fear factor rating because realistically, we gave, when I say we, Shivers got 0.25 and you gave Hellraiser Bloodline a zero on the fear front. And let's face it, we're not going to argue that any Hellraiser is not a, a horror. No, no, no. You know, regardless of quality, a Hellraiser film is horror. Yeah, completely. But our fear factor is more about the success of delivering that. Yes, yeah. Um, I suppose. I suppose you you want uh, if you're talking about a horror film, it's going to be about some dark subject matter as a very kind of basic thing. That doesn't define a horror film because you could have mm. a you know a film like Nil by Mouth is very dark subject matter. It's gritty, it's pretty harrowing, but it's not horror. But 
you know, you're talking about Hellraiser. It's about hell and about demons slash angels, whatever. Cenobites, um, mm. you know, slasher films are about serial killers and uh, zombie films are about the living dead. So that kind of dark subject matter, I think, is another important factor. I think mm. there needs to be a threat of life. Yeah, definitely. It's it's about the intention more than anything yeah. else, which is probably what makes it subjective. But uh, if if there is a clear intent to elicit fear, regardless mm. of how successful it is or not, it's hard to argue it's not horror. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably what we're ranking this against. But uh, yeah. obviously in, in the mainstream world, the mainstream world... <laughs> 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 like we're in any way involved in any of this stuff and not just two guys who love horror uh, in the journalistic world um, there, there is a tendency that if a horror is not obviously a horror and people aren't dying left right in the centre you haven't got zombies or vampires or blood then it will be labelled especially in the past few years an elevated horror oh yes Elevated. Yeah, which which used to, in fairness, be the oh, it's not a horror, it's a thriller, and then the thriller has kind of gone away to be replaced with, it's an elevated horror. Yeah, I mean that's an it's an interesting point that the term thriller I think no longer carries the kind of clout that it used to. Of course, because think... people think of Michael Jackson now, and then it's a different kind of fear. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for lowering the tone <laughs> so early on. <laughs> Set the bar low. There is no lower you can go. We, we can limbo under that. There really isn't. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, elevated horror, we've mentioned it before. And you hate it's, it. I, I cannot stand it. I think it, it's just, like you've said, it's a fancier way of saying this film isn't just a horror it's better than a horror because it's got artistic merit or you know it's this dismissive term that suggests that horror in and of itself isn't enough and it does it means that a film can't have artistry and intelligence and merit you know it has to be elevated it has to be mm. better than horror it's nonsense the one that <laughs> i always love for that is and i still read about it constantly not, not referred to as an elevated horror, but I always read Science of the Lambs. That's not a horror, it's a thriller. He's killing I, people and turning them into a bodysuit, while the other man is in prison two, for being a cannibal. Two people wear skin masks in that film. <laughs> yeah, elevated horror. If that horror, doesn't mate. make it a horror, I don't know what does. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh we're clearly going down that route today, aren't we, for Elevator Tara? So after our nice brief... That's right, Nick, we're trying to keep it brief. Our, oh, yeah. our yeah. nice brief intro, we should probably talk about the gift and uh, what it's about. So do, yeah. do you want to do that thing that you do? Give us a synopsis. Oh, where I uh, really concisely and um, very accurately sum up a film. Yes, with sure. sometimes with spoilers, although we'll try and keep our spoilers to a minimum, but let's face it, we spoil everything. We, we spoil. It is... To exist as us is to spoil. So, uh, with that in mind, here's the uh, spoiler-heavy plot synopsis. 
Now the story of a wealthy family who lost everything, and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. It's The Gift. Michael Bluth, or Simon, has moved to LA with his wife Robin. Michael Bluth, or Simon, has a new job and they're trying for a child. A chance encounter with someone from Michael Bluth's childhood sets the quote-unquote happy couple into a spiral of buried secrets, lies, and multiple gifts. Yeah, I really like that one. Thank you. <laughs> Again, this can be lost on anyone who's not seen Arrested Development. And realistically, yeah. I bet Jason Bateman hates this kind of thing, that he's never going to be a tissue oh, down yeah. Michael Bluth. Because he... he was so fucking brilliant as Michael Bluth. Yeah. So, I mean, he only has himself to blame. Him, He has himself and his talent to blame Completely. for the fact that, you know, we can't help but talk about Arrested Development. Part of me really wanted to work on a uh, Ron Howard impression, oh, but I just did yeah. not have the time. Because <laughs> normally you give a plot synopsis and it's really concise, and then I try and come up with a, a slightly smaller one afterwards. But mine is pretty much exactly the same as yours. <laughs> and I've gone down the rest of development and I've got Michael Blue finds there's no money in the banana stand so it's out <laughs> so, so to separate himself from his old life and deny the reality of who he is he just can't there's escape. always money in the banana stand there's always money in the banana stand <laughs> oh brilliant um, usual question did did you see the trailer well I did but I watched it quite a while ago, and I can't remember a thing about ah, it. Well, which tells at this me point, Nick's mm. probably going to go straight into the trailer for us, because he's been doing that really well. Yeah, so, uh, so let's listen yeah, to the trailer. Previously on Arrested Development. <laughs> this is a mid-century modern home. This view is fantastic, the lighting is great. You like it? Yeah, do you? This is good. <laughs> I'm very happy. Excuse me. Is your name Simon? Yes, sir. It is you. Hi. We went to school together. This is my wife, Robin. This is... I didn't get your name. Gordon Mosley. Uh, Gordo. Gordo? Oh, my God. I'm so sorry to recognize you. It's been a very, very long time. Welcome home, smiley face Gordo. How do you think he got our address? That's an expensive bottle of wine. We should thank him. I believe that the bad things in life, they can be a gift. That guy's odd. He's a little socially awkward, but I can be like that. Gordo, hi. Hi. <laughs> After high school, and some people stay exactly the same. Thank you. He's delusional, thinks that we're friends. Thanks for a lovely dinner. Fish food. You don't find that a little troubling? <laughs> I said that I wanted fish. And all the visits when you're alone. They used to call him Gordo the Weirdo. I think he's nice, and he's been very generous. What you're talking about is a one-sided friendship. You're essentially being forced into a breakup. There's no easy way to say this. Don't visit us anymore. It's not over. Simon, after all these years, I was willing to let bygones be bygones. What does that mean? I do not know. But it must mean something. Hello? Bygones be bygones after all these years. What the hell was that? That was big. Gordo! What does bygones be bygones mean? It's over! Simon has a full file on him. You think he's been lying to you? Just tell me what happened. It's 25 years ago. I have no idea who you really are. 
Simon says, new house. Simon says, beautiful wife. Simon says, you think you're done with the past, but the past is not done with you. The trailer manages to badge a lot more tropes than the film has. Um, <laughs> such that I think you would watch that trailer and you think, ah, straight up horror I'm getting here. So yeah. this is another one where... Although it's a Bloomhouse film and you probably see that trailer and think, mm, okay, I know what I'm getting. You don't really, this isn't a good judge whether you should watch the film or not. Um, I think hopefully some yeah. of our references should make it clear whether it's what you'll like or not. Yeah, I am um, kind of hearing you describe that. When you started to say you kind of it almost hints at being a, a slasher, I kind of could picture it again. And mm. it's... It is, it's a misleading trailer and it struck me um, because I, I was talking to award-winning filmmaker Connor Baru, uh, director of... He's so strong! Mm. And, you know, director of upcoming uh, soon-to-be cult classic when the screaming starts. Uh, <laughs> Who's that starred? Oh, that, that stars... Uh, well, me. And uh, Jared... Rogers. I was going to mispronounce his name and then thought, no, actually, that's Well, you're disrespecting him by mis by getting his name right, aren't you? Quite frankly. I've never liked him. <laughs> Let's face it, he's not our listener. You can get away with it. That's true. That's true. He um, might be our listener. Well, we love you, Jared. You're great. <laughs> thank you for thank you for being you. Um, I said that to the camera as if he could see me. Um, Don't worry, Nick's going to edit all that out and just leave it. It's he might not. Um, now, the, the reason I brought up speaking to real strong award-winning filmmaker Connor Brew is that we were talking about the trailer to Creep 2 seeming like a pretty straight-up horror film, where in actual fact it is this mixture of horror and comedy. And he said something really quite interesting, which was that it's easier to market a film as horror in a trailer than to try and get across that it's a bit of a hybrid genre, um, which you know, Creep Two is, as we discussed, it's very much a yeah. comedy with horror elements. And I wonder if that, you know, the trailer for um, The Gift follows a similar line. It's easier to sell it as a horror from Bloomhouse than it is to go. This is a horror thriller hybrid thing yeah yeah i do see your point there it kind of it, it takes the whole concept of a trailer that and goes well we're only really going to sell you what you th we think you like rather than what's actually in it yeah. so it's all kind of pointless which really shits upon our whole segment on what's in the trailer and whether that's going to tell people they, they it like does it but it's it's important to to kind of point thanks, this stuff Connor. out, yeah. Thanks, real you're, yeah, real strong, Connor. Yeah, um, <laughs> real strong. But I think it's important to point that stuff out because trailers can be misleading. So when you get a good trailer, it's really, really important, and it can happen. Yeah, yeah, that is. You true. know, and it's. I think there should be more. 
attention given to trailers to try and get them to be accurate to kind of help audiences otherwise you're you know it's not going to help the film because if you go into the gift thinking you're going to get a a stalker slash slasher Mm. you're you're going to be disappointed exactly and realistically we're going to start talking about spoilers and you Mm. kind of want to have either watch the trailer decide whether it's for you before you get any of that i think yeah Unless you're that kind of person who likes to know what they're getting in for. Which, fair enough, plenty are. Yeah. It almost needs, and this would be, it would come across as such a cheap marketing thing, but you very much need that for fans of to try and at least point you in the yeah. right direction. And I think that's where in this trailer, when it comes up, the studio that brought us Insidious, okay. I mean, you wouldn't put this back to back with Insidious. No, no, they're completely different films. I think you're absolutely right. The whole because it's it's very much a, a music thing to do the whole for fans of. Mm. It's not so much in in film, and I think it would be a really useful technique and, to and kind of. We've got a lot in the plan later about talking about the references, but maybe we should just list some of those references now and talk about them later after we spoil them. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it could be a thing going forward for fans of before we spoil for the shit fans out of, of it. I like it. Yeah. Um, okay. The, the for fans of this is what I've got. You tell me if you agree or disagree. I've got the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah. I also have what lies beneath. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I've got uh, the hand that rocks the cradle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I shall raise you the Vengeance Trilogy. Hmm, interesting you should mention the Vengeance Trilogy. It is, isn't it? And let's come back to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, tapping your nose on uh, an audio medium doesn't work. I was doing that for your benefit. I appreciate it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I also have Perfect Blue. Yes. Oh, I'm going to... I was trying to think of a poker term. I, I don't really play poker, so I can't think of it. Um, but I'm going to offer up Sleeping with the Enemy. I have not seen Sleeping with the Enemy. But uh, I will take it as a fits in this world. It is, yes. Yeah. Um, damn, I need to think of a poker term for it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's fair. Oh, and of course, for fans of Arrested Development. So yeah, now, now we've given that. This is what the fa- who's in it. The, sorry, this is what the film synopsis is. The trailer's not going to tell you what you need to know about whether you're going to like it. And this is for fans of. Now we get to go into full spoiler territory and talk about who's in it, and then all the things we noted in it. So uh, we've already talked about one person who's in it. We should probably talk about all of them, including the the author of the piece. Yes. Yeah. So. Um... It's got Michael Bluth, otherwise known as Jason Bateman. Um, his his wife is played by Rebecca Hall. They are the kind of happy couple of the piece. You just going to refer to him as Michael throughout this. You're not going to refer to him as his character name in this. No, I'm pretty much just going to call him Michael Bluth. Uh, I mean... He I'm plays Simon. Check my notes. In this, Simon, he plays there Simon. We go. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard not that to is completely... It, but it is actually very unfair of me to be calling him Michael Bluth when he's actually very good in this. He's a, oh, yeah. 
you know, a really good performance. Um, and uh, the third actor to mention, as you said, the kind of auteur of this film, the the director himself, and, and the uh, and writer, and the eponymous gift giver. It's it's Joel Gordo the weirdo. Gordo the weirdo. Yeah. Joel Egerton slash Edgerton. Which one is it? Well, oh, it, I felt I knew it at it, the yeah. beginning, and now because I've said both, I've, I've confused myself. Okay, I'm going to stick with Joel, as we said earlier. Joel, Or maybe yeah. just Gordo going forward on it, because I actually think that, you know, he's, yeah. he really Simon has established... A, yeah, Simon and Gordo. He's really established a character there, and that kind of ginger hairdo that he's sporting throughout this is... It very much fits with his... Oh, yeah. With, with colouring your perceptions of the character, the eponymous gift yeah. giver. It's. I mean, essentially, there are other actors in this film, but essentially, it is a three hander. You know, <laughs> it's. It kind of struck me that it would work really well as a. Like, a, an adaptation of this for the stage would actually be really good. Because it yeah. is very much about the, uh, the performances. Uh, although I have to mention one person, I actually haven't written down the name, but I really loved seeing Bunk from The Wire. Yeah, that's underused good. as a detective. He's underused, and he's good in this. Um, yeah. But yeah, con- considering our Gordo is is writing and directing and sporting his ginger hair in this, he's pretty fan. Like our, our three main cast are, it's hard to fault them in this. Oh yeah, yeah they are, they are great. Like this is a really, really strong in terms of uh, performances, and it's really, it's directed in a very sure-handed, accomplished way. Which is odd, Joel. It's his debut one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is, and you know, it feels like. It's been directed by someone who's spent a long time directing, but yeah. as you say, you know this was his debut. Yes, it's an accomplished debut from him on all fronts. We already knew he could act well, but he's written yeah. a good piece. He's directed it well, and we knew. Let's face it, we we knew Jason Bateman could do things other than than comedy, despite how difficult it is to move away from that established character. Because he's he's done Ozark and he's done yeah. Um, well, he, he did the more recent series of Arrested Development, which, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's something that um, that struck me as I was watching this, is that it's this really odd perception that, uh, generally speaking, that people have of actors who kind of make their name in comedy. And it's yeah. in, a ba- in a way, it's a bit similar to Elevated Horror, in that, you know, people were so shocked when uh, Robin Williams was at One Hour Photo. Oh, yeah, he's fucking terrifying in that. He's absolutely terrifying, but people were really kind of like, I, I didn't know he could act. And it's like, well, no, he's been <laughs> acting all the way through. He's yeah. a great comedy actor, but he is an actor. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> and it's a similar thing with um, Jason Bateman, is that he is a fantastic comedy actor, but he's also just... A fantastic actor, regardless yeah. of the genre. This is this is very true. 
Um, although I'm going to posit here that I actually think the, the real standout for Rebecca Hall is Robin. She's brilliant. She really brilliant. plays that role fantastically. And I'm really, I wasn't really that familiar with her. Like, I looked at her credits after that. Oh, okay. Iron Man 3, I don't really remember too much of you in that. The Prestige. I mean, I really like The Prestige, but I don't remember you too much from that either. Um, okay. Uh, I haven't yeah. watched Tales from the Loop yet. I will do, but I haven't yet. So she's she's one of those actors that kind of she appears on on screen and for a little bit you kind of go yeah I feel I know you from somewhere but yeah. I can't place it and she just I mean she's kind of the performance that the film hangs on if spot on if she doesn't you know if she doesn't nail this performance then nothing else will work. It won't work it's, as a uh, film. like Florence Pugh's um, Midsummer. Yeah, absolutely. Right. All the tension derives from her performance of it and if she isn't conveying to you correctly the the fear she she's getting and the doubts she's having throughout this film. Because this, this very much plays on the whole uh, questioning what you're seeing in front of you. Uh, yeah. Is everything as it seems? Is is Gordo as he seems? Is Simon portraying things as he seems? But can we even trust what Robin's seeing? But that all comes down to her performance. The other yeah. two play it straight throughout, but yeah, she does fantastically conveying that. Mm. Uh, it's the older, yeah, a lesser actor. Yeah. Would have probably ruined the film in that role. It, yeah, it just wouldn't have worked because you particularly in a film that's all about perception and about doubts that whole you know it, i guess another thing to throw in in terms of references is gaslight the i want to say 1930s play i hope i'm right with that yeah, i'm not going to correct your plays am i well i mean i would after neon demon but um <laughs> but that you know gaslight the play is where the term gaslighting comes from so in a film that's about perception and doubt and all of that kind of stuff, if you don't care about the person caught in the middle of it all, if you don't believe them, and if you you can kind of lose all sense of well, why are we bothering with this film? Why why am I watching this? Why do I care? What happens? And she's the kind of linchpin that holds it all together and she does a phenomenal job with this. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's a very well-acted film all around. Mm. The only thing I would question is Gordo as a pub quiz leader. He's a very yeah, a odd, an odd one. pub quiz leader. Yeah. Um, his, his trivia as well, a very Manson-focused as well. Yes. It was that was an odd decision of job for him. It's not it's not such a big thing that it kind of dismantles the film, but it is a really odd choice, yeah. I thought. And I, I have been to pub quizzes where I've thought the quizmaster was quite an oddball like that, but not quite as sinister as Cordo can yeah. be. And to be honest, if I had a sinister pub quiz master and I noticed a theme through their questions that they seem to be 
hinting at, you know, mass murderers, then I might find that a bit unnerving. It might yeah, make me think yeah. I'm not so worried about winning this one. I might, I might just go to the bar and then maybe head home. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact that you're going to go to the bar before heading home when you think there's a serial killer <laughs> running a pub quiz. Yeah, not You've got your priorities sorted. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> we, we should now go on to full spoiler mode and talk about the things we um, we noticed in this one. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, Michael Blute's a bastard, isn't he? Oh, my God, yeah. Just, do you know what it is? It's that opening kind of section where they're looking around the house and he does that little breathing on the glass and draws a little heart on the on the mm. window. And you think, oh, he's, he's going to be a nice little sappy character. Yeah. And it's gradual. The, the realisation, it isn't obvious and it isn't quick you get suckered into him as a character and then when you start to realise that all might not be as it seems you've you've been tricked he has tricked you yeah completely um, his, his performance in it made me think do you remember the, um, the there was this trend of taking like quite innocent things and making them into horror trailers. They did one for Mary Poppins called it Scary Mary. Yeah, and Mrs. Doubtfire, there was like a psycho version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So his performance here as Simon, he's such a bastard. It made me think, oh, you know what? I bet you could take Arrested Development and turn that into a really sinister horror trailer. <laughs> because it's that similar deadpan take on yeah. things, just hinting at a little darkness beneath which which only really comes out at the end but that actually mm. is probably where the first reference that I've got for this film comes in in that his performance here reminded me an awful lot of Harrison Ford in What Lies Beneath yeah yeah absolutely I hadn't thought of it until um, you, uh, you'd mentioned it but it really is, and that's a similar kind of performance where you get suckered in, you get pulled in by it, and it's just, it, it's such a strong performance. And I think this is something we're just going to keep repeating for the three of them that we talk about. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. I think it is spot on with Harrison Ford from What Lies Beneath. Yeah, and in fairness, um... Uh, Rebecca Hall's Robin reminds me an awful lot of Michelle Pfeiffer's performance in that as well, which is another yeah. big kind of kudos to her, you know, because Michelle Pfeiffer's yeah. brilliant in that. But, they, but going back to the Harrison Ford thing, I mean, that's it's similar kind of casting in that sense. Not that Harrison Ford came from doing anything like Arrested Development, but you've got someone who's not traditionally known for these nasty piece of work roles. Yeah. And so when you first meet them, you're you're in that mindset like we are with this watching it going, oh, look, it's Michael the Blues, where's the banana stand, you know? Yeah. Oh, he's going to give us a morality tale on things. And then as it gets darker, your brain almost kind of tries to reject that because of who the actor is yeah. rather than what you're seeing. And it makes that realisation of who they are that, that a little bit more convincing, a little bit worse. Yeah, I think it's... 
absolutely brilliant casting in this, and it's something that doesn't get mentioned a lot, but the uh, the role of a casting director, when you have a really good bit of casting, it can make a film. And, yeah. you know, just literally by virtue of the fact that he is Jason Bateman, he is Michael Bluth, as you say, you try and reject it. You try and go, no, no, he's not that bad. And it massively puts you in, you know, Robin's shoes. Yeah. You can, you know, yeah, you're trying exactly to it. reject what's going on. And that is just such a genius bit of casting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's spot on. It really works in that, that sense. Um, and funnily enough, I remember going to see What Lies Beneath at the cinema. Back when we could go to the cinemas without having to wear masks and, you know, worry about people around us potentially killing us through infection. Vive la pandemic. Vive la pandemic. Um, and I went in there not sure quite what I was going to get because mm. the posters and promotion for What Lies Beneath made me think that was going to be a lot more traditional horror. You had these images of like this hand coming out from underneath almost like corpse-like. I was like, oh yeah, we're going to get some real undead work here kind of thing. And there's this psychological yeah. psychological horror that really gets under your skin in the same way that this does. So the gift is really in good company there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what? If Jordan Peele had appeared at the end and started narrating the moral of what we had seen wouldn't have seemed out of place to me it it could easily have been a modern twilight zone episode yeah it it really could and i think that that possibly is a little bit to its detriment in that yeah. i think it could maybe have worked a little bit better as a smaller thing. I'm not entirely sure I'm convinced by the film as a feature, but if this had been, you know, cut down a bit and an episode of mm. something in the the vein of The Twilight Zone, I think I'd have really, really leapt on board with it. Yeah, if it had been in the current series of The Twilight Zone. Yeah. I, we would probably be going, oh, did you see that episode? We, sh we should talk about that episode. And yes. How brilliant yeah. it is. But uh, would they have got this casting? No. No, they 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 wouldn't, probably. Yeah. In fairness, they, Maybe there they is might precedent. have got some. Yeah. yeah. But there is precedent for taking ridiculously strong episodes of The Twilight Zone and, and making films out of them. Uh, the Box. I love The Box. The one uh, they made it into film with Cameron Diaz and James Hudson yes. and Frank and Joe, which is very similar, small cast, like three-person cast at the end of the day. Um, yeah, yeah. And I know that's been made a few times, um, and it has commentary on people and their decisions in a similar way that The Gift does. Uh, yeah. But that, that really worked for me as a, um, as a film. But again, good company. Yeah, and I think actually... That's that's not a bad reference point for this. You know, I'd throw that in to the mix for for fans of. Oh uh, yeah, if you were doing a double feature, you, yeah, yeah, you could watch the box and the gift. Yeah, do it. The does. I think. I think the issue I had was that 
it was nothing I felt I hadn't seen before. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm going to agree with you there, because if you had taken out um, the performance as Robin, um, I think that's probably the only one you'd need to take out. From the offset, you probably would have had a good idea where this is ending and go, okay, he has done this. This is why this is happening. And you could have probably pieced it together from, I don't want to say tropes, because it's not like uh, what lies beneath or the Twilight Zone and essay tropes in themselves. But I, I do see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just that thing that... It's not it's not laden with tropes. This isn't a film that you're watching that you're going, you've got that from that film, you've got that from that film. It's not that at all. It's just, it's a path that we've gone down with other films, like What Lies Beneath, like The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. And that's a shame, because mm. if those other films didn't exist... I think I'd be getting on board more with this. Yeah, completely. It 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 lives in this world of that is is very well populated. Um, mm. We're not giving for fans of and coming up with kind of middling films here. Yeah, um, like the the next one I was going to go on to, and only some only a tiny bit because I don't want to spoil what we want to do, but the the Vengeance trilogy. Yeah, like yeah. is living in that world that ha- has explored the topic so well in such a broad way, such an unexpected way that it makes it harder to be shocking. And uh, mm. for me, um, Gordo is a little bit too almost conventionally weird to be one of the vengeances from the Vengeance trilogy. Yeah, yeah, but his take on revenge which is probably the biggest spoiler I can make in this whole thing is <laughs> is quite similar to, to Old Boy yeah definitely I, I think that's yeah it, it's it's definitely there you know it... and that's that's kind of how it how it exists it's not ripping off Old Boy but there yeah, are yeah kind of, you know, themes and approaches to vengeance, I think was the phrase you used, which are definitely influenced by Old Boy. And that is a film of high esteem in the world. I'm yeah. treading really carefully around. Yeah, yeah, completely. And it's, it's all right to be influenced by these high yeah. esteem films, but... The stronger, more groundbreaking a film like that is, the harder it is to offer something new and something yeah. beyond that. Um, and, and even in the performance that I'm praising the, the most in this with Robin, that reminds me an awful lot of Perfect Blue, which I know is, a, is an anime, so it's a slightly different world. Um, and it gets referenced an awful lot in other films, especially if you're Aronofsky, mm. who, you know, likes to yeah. dip his little. Ah. A little bit perfect blue here and a little bit perfect blue there. Lovely. Uh, but the whole uh, stalker premise um, and the questioning of what's going on with the stalker and the reality of the situation is it, it, very similar 
to uh, Mima, who I've probably mispronounced again because it's been a while since I've seen that one. Um, in Perfect Blue. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think I think it, even down to uh, I know when when the gift was released, there was a, a bit of a reaction from from certain critics, uh, a number of critics, that while it's a, a good film, the ending of it slightly transformed it into a kind of the world of thrillers, the world of thriller cliches. In the world the, of elevated using... horror. Well, no, not quite, because it's, uh, it's that use of the threat of rape as a plot point, which is something that is definitely yeah. there in Sleeping with the Enemy and Hand That Rocks the Cradle, hmm. which were the two kind of main things that it put me in mind of. Um, and I think it's just that thing of audiences are so clever and we're so used to seeing so many films that we will pick up on stuff. You know, yeah. If there's a, a little reference to a film, we'll get it. Yeah. So you need to give us something new. Yeah, You've exactly. got to give us something that we're going to... If you want a film to be a groundbreaking film, to be in, uh, you know, move from being a good film to a great film, it's got to give us some something yeah. fresh. As much as it pains me to say it, there was more that... Uh kind of caught me off guard as, oh, that's interesting in a new way, about um, the Friday Night remake. Yeah. yeah there, there were more points in that that I didn't really have references for. I thought, that's a clever little addition to this genre. I like that. Do, do you want to get your German in? I'm sure you're going to bring it up as a bit that you noted from it. Ah, uh, you mean the, uh, the word gift in German? Yeah, that's the one I meant, yeah. Yeah. So uh discovered this while uh, doing uh, Romeo and Juliet in Germany years ago. Uh, the German word gift means poison. And uh, it was pretty much the first thing that came to mind while I was watching this. And I think because I've mentioned this before to you, it came to mind to you as well. It did. And it is highly appropriate for this film. Massively so. The... Uh, the poisoned gifts of uh, Gordo to <laughs> Simon. Yeah. 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 I, what did you think about this? Uh, just, you know, that plot idea of this couple just keeping on finding these gifts out, outside their front door. As in, did I find it unsettling or odd? That kind yeah. Of yeah. Like, how. I actually found that that was really well placed mm. because it perfectly straddles the line between someone being just overly friendly and outright sinister. Now, I, imagine, I have never been stalked and I don't think I ever will be stalked <laughs> and I'm grateful for that. <laughs> but... Um, if if I ever heard from someone who had been stalked that this is common behaviour, it would not surprise me in the slightest. No, no, it really wouldn't. I found it... I just thought it kind of... Uh, I've slightly been knocking Joel 
and it was just wanting to talk about how he shows this tremendous restraint in how he presents the gifts kind of uh, on screen and how it just slowly goes from being kind of it's a bit weird but yeah to actually really being quite sinister Mm. and he frames kind of as the gifts progress he starts to really frame them as if they are it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like you might see uh the the slasher villain being framed in a in yeah. a kind of you know or a giallo having the kind of the gloved hand with the knife there was something to the framing of the gifts that really i it got under my skin yeah yeah, I think that's fair because from from the off there, um, there isn't a single gift in there that isn't slightly out of place for the relationship that Simon Gordo, yeah. or even hinted at having, because you you don't know from the start when Simon Gordo reaches no. you, you don't know their history, you don't you don't really know anything other than it's like ah, oh, you know Simon Gordo, we went to school together. Yeah. And yeah, if if I put myself in those shoes and I bumped into someone that I went to school with, and then you know they started dropping off gifts at my house, I would, I'd probably think that's a little strange. Um, but the the way he escalates it is full on unsettling. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is well done that. Can't can't knock that at all. Yeah, maybe maybe we're being harsh and saying there's not a uniqueness to it because that I don't actually have a, a real reference point for that. No, no, it's it's not enough to kind of completely transform it. But I think it's an indication of actually, you know, how good he is as a director. Oh, yeah. and you know, you know, he really. If they announced they were remaking Old Boy again, and Joel was behind it, I would be so excited based on yeah, this. I'd be really interested in it. Yeah. Spoiler: I don't think Old Boy should have been remade. And you know, as no. we've discussed before about remakes of great films, regardless of where they are in the world, I don't think you should mm. do them unless you're going to offer something really extra beyond that. Yeah. Um, but I would be much more curious if someone like Joel who's done this is attached to it I think oh, okay, yeah. that's someone that's going to really understand their source material and is going to call on something really creepy yeah. mm. Mm. I, I'm going to bring you back I think to the, the original question of this about is it a horror yeah it's a really Difficult question for this film. Can I throw and Nick's I direct of... quote at you? Yeah, go for he, it. He did, I, I wanted to make a note of this as he set us this film and then said said this about is it a horror? Then followed it up with if something is horrifying, does that make it a horror? I think I think it's good we're kind of directly quoting Nick because that that question makes it really difficult because mm. was 
my instinct is that if something is horrifying, it is a horror. It is a, or at least at the very least, it is heavily horror inflected. So, did I find the gift horrifying? And I think what it needs is for something horrifying to be horror, it needs sustained horrification. Yes, it's a word. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it 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 can't just be a, a collection of horrifying moments. It needs to really sustain that. It needs to ramp it up. It needs to yeah. leave you. You know, if that's the approach you're going to take, something that's uh, you know leaning on the psychological side of things rather than, you know, a guy with a knife glove chasing yeah. you round, then it needs to really build that. I think you've hit the nail on the head there because I'm, I'm sure when Nick said that if it's horrifying, does it make your horror? He's referring to a specific part of this film or specific revelations that are definitely, like when, when they came out, I found those revelations horrifying. Yeah. But that in itself does not make it a horror. Um, mm. In the same way that there are moments of American History X that I found horrifying. Yes. Like, you know, proper, oh, bloody hell, that's tough. But I'm not going to try and argue to you that American History X is a horror. It's not. No, no. But you're right, when you've got that sustained tension... Yeah. and that intent to get fear throughout the whole film building up like this, then yeah, it definitely is. And that, that moment of complete horror just, just adds to it. Yeah, and I think I'm going to throw um, Hounds of Love, not the Kate Bush song, uh, oh, not the oh, Future oh. Heads cover, um, <laughs> but the, uh, the Australian film, Hounds of Love, is a great one in terms of it uses horrifyingness. Oh, mm. Great with my words today. Yeah, you're but that, that kind of build of that build of tension and just ramping it up. And every time you think, well, it can't get worse, they find a way of making it worse. Mm. That it kind of becomes this form of fear because it's so intense and it's so. It's it's like they've slowly stabbed you with a knife and then they've just turned it and turned it and turned it and you think well yeah. come on you, you've stabbed me already and they're still turning the knife and I don't think the gift does that do you think it intends to no no I don't think it does well I think what it intends to do is to lull you, which it does, and then to start to build things up. But the build is not enough for me to feel that this is full-on horror. Okay. In, let's return to that when we conclude this at the end, because yeah. I want to throw something else in there, which again, uh, Nick pointed out. Um, there are, mm, big spoiler, no deaths in the gift. Mm. Um, bar Simon's career and marriage. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that adds the question for me anyway, that is, 
death an essential part of being a horror? It's it's a really it's a really tricky one because I, off the top of my head, I cannot think. I was going to say one, and then I thought, no, actually, I'm I'm wrong there. I was going to say Carnival of Souls was a pretty, but then I thought, mm. actually, no, I'm wrong with mm. that. It doesn't have any big set piece death scenes or anything like that. I don't think you need death for a horror. You could have the threat of death. Could Do you have enough. many references for clear-cut horrors that don't have death? I, I can't think of any. This is where I struggled. I was like, well, maybe a few episodes of The Twilight Zone and a few of The Outer Limits mm. where uh, people didn't meet grisly ends... But more often than not, they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm racking my brains to think of one. Because yeah. I'm, the thing is, I'm sure there must be. But... Yeah. It, I mean... It, which does make it difficult. And the fact that this is a deathless film, then... It makes it harder to stack it in the kind of the world of horror, mm. but I don't feel that that should be a defining part of horror. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't. I don't think it's necessary to have people dying and to have death to deliver the intent of fear that horror clearly requires. Um, if if no one dies, you can still scare the shit out of someone. Just by suggesting the intent, it's almost like the torture principle, isn't it? The uh, sometimes the thought is far worse than the actual thing. But realistically, as a precedent, it's really really hard to think of examples that are clear cut horrors that don't have that don't have. Okay, have, have I you, have. Go I on. just looked up because I was like, there, there has to be something that I'm missing. Go on then. I've got two. Poltergeist. Okay, yeah, never argue that's not horror. And the other one being the others. Um, yeah, I don't want to spoil that film, but mm. the, the, that's a that's a. Mm. Yeah, but I will let, let, let's stick with Poltergeist because that yeah. is it's a horror film and it's a it's a deathless horror film. Yeah, that's that is fair, um, but that but, that's still the exception rather than the rule, isn't it? Yeah, I mean we are we are clutching here. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> the kind of examples were coming to us hard and fast, and I think between us we have seen a lot of horror films. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to do some research this. in this afterwards to try and come up with like a maybe when we do a future special on horrors that don't the deathless yeah. horrors. Yeah, be quite deathless nice. horrors. Uh, I can definitely see that being uh, a piece on the website. Yeah, and then we get and go. Yeah, basically it's just poltergeist, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, we should probably do a uh, present the case for and the case against. 
is the gift yeah. of horror. Uh, I get the feeling I'm going to be doing the case for, and you're going to be doing the case for. Yes. Again. Yeah, I think that sounds fair. Okay, in that case, allow me, if you will, to present the evidence. It's a Blumhouse. I mean, it's a very compelling <laughs> argument. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that's my first piece of evidence. Mm. It has traditional jump scares and other classic tropes of horror. I did jump. Yes. And that was clearly intended to be a jump scare, and it was effective. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, a very... When they when he wants to make you jump, you jump. Mm-hmm. Um, as we have established earlier in, in the proceedings, it would not be out of place in an episode of The Twilight Zone, and there can be no doubt that The Twilight Zone is a horror series. Then, finally... Objection! Oh! I hear your objection. I didn't actually have one, I just wanted to say objection (laughs) at some point. Fine, very well, overruled. Um, (laughs) This uh, focuses heavily on stalkers, of which we have precedence, even in things we have discussed. New Nightmare. I I do actually have a genuine objection. Um, Stalkers in and of themselves, one might say there is precedence in the world of Thriller. I would uh, point to Exhibit A, Cape Fear, the uh, Scorsese mm. version, which uh, I would say the uh, stalker provides a, a threat more than you know what? an inapt We could do a whole argument about whether Cape Fear is a horror or not. Yes, very much. Uh, so, as much as I can see your evidence that a stalker is not in itself adequate evidence of a horror it is merely that there is precedent in horror for the stalker being used as a device I, I would say there is precedence in horror and thriller so it's it's more circumstantial than everything <laughs> very well in that case uh, if you'd like to make your case against ladies and gentlemen of the jury I believe that overall this lands more on the thriller side of the horror thriller fence uh, but it's, it's, it's definitely horror-inflected, and uh, my esteemed colleague has already mentioned Blumhouse. My top horror of the last decade, Get Out, was a Blumhouse film. But I do not believe that the tension is ratcheted up enough or sustained enough for this to be an out-and-out horror. I think this would have to be counted as a horror-inflected thriller, more along the lines of Hand That Rocks the Cradle, or, um, look through my notes for my help, uh, Sleeping with the Enemy. I think it's got more in common Hmm. with those than it does with the horror genre as a whole. Interesting. I have heard your case, and I would like to offer a summary and execution. Please do. Namely, the pairing of the gift with other films, of which you've offered two in the case against, of which I would say that the the obvious pairing of this, if you were to find cinematic films to pair this with, like a wine, uh, so to go full nick on this, as this is his setting, it would be 
the Vengeance Trilogy. It would be The Outer Limits, it would be The Twilight Zone, uh, specifically The Box. All horrors. It, w it would be uh, What Lies Beneath. You wouldn't pair this with things that are more traditionally from the thriller line of things. No Country for Old Men, definitely a thriller. You wouldn't pair this with that. Or any of the old M. Night Twisteroos, you wouldn't pair it with that. I wouldn't fight you if you said you wanted to pair it with Cape Fear, but I think we'd be having a similar argument. And I, I think actually I lean more on the idea that Cape Fear is a horror than it is a thriller. Indeed. Indeed. This is very frustrating for me because <laughs> your arguments are very, very compelling. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think... So is this our final thought on the gift, that we were right to include it here? it is borderline. I think, you know, this makes it into the horror... horror thriller, but more horror than thriller, by the the smallest of margins. It is a... Oh. It is so close to being thriller with horror elements. Indeed. And we can but conclude we were right to include this on the Hermanas of Horror. We absolutely were, yeah. And we are right and, to uh, continue as Hermanas of Horror rather than just Hermanos. Hermanos of. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you, your case is rested and you have walked out of the courtroom triumphant, being held aloft by the, uh, the gathered masses. Gordo the Weirdo. Gordo the Weirdo. Well, I guess uh, all that's left to do now we've established it is fit for the uh, rating system. Absolutely. Is to uh, give it a rating. Yeah. Yeah. That is all that's left. So it's the uh, the world famous Commanders of Horror rating system, which has been copied the world over out of ten, but broken down into... <laughs> Uh, is it a good film? Out of three. Did we enjoy it? Out of two. Would you recommend it? Out of two. And a fear factor, because it is a horror film. Out of three. Well said, sir. Well said. Well, do you want to go first then? Do you find it a good film? Um, yeah, I, no? I'm, I'm happy to go first. So, did Please I find do. it a good film? Out of three. One point. No, I was going to say 1.5, but I'm going to push it up to 1.75. It's. It's a solid film, and it's a good film, but it's not a great film. You know, for all of the the reasons that we said, you know, the, the well-trod ground. But the performances are fantastic. So, 1.75. I'm not too far off you there. I've gone 1.9 for similar reasons. It's not quite exceptional, um, probably just because there were too many reference points to what was coming. So it lacked that surprise. But the performances are fantastic. It is very well shot. For a de debut, it's startling how well shot it is. Yeah. 1.9. Did you enjoy it? Excellent. Did I enjoy it? 1.25. Um, I, I really enjoyed the performances. And I did enjoy the film. Even while there being elements that I... I didn't enjoy so much or kind of I went I'm you know I'm weary of the the kind of 
using the threat of rape as a plot point. No. I have seen a lot of this stuff already, but the performances and the direction are so good that 1.25. Uh, my feelings were pretty much the same, but I gave it 1.4. Um, again, because of all the things that, that make it a good film, they were hard not to enjoy. The performances were compelling. That I, I didn't want to turn off any point because I was enjoying watching it. I did want to see where it was going to end up. Um, and I did come away thinking about it as well, which is often a sign of a good film. But um, yeah. the enjoyment wasn't quite up there to the... Uh, it, did, it didn't make me think, oh, I've got to watch this again. And if I was to... Uh, I'm in the mood for that kind of that kind of film from this realm of films we've talked about. I think I really want to enjoy. Even if it was Twilight Zone-esque, I'd probably go for the box. So I think 1.4 is fair for enjoyment. Would you recommend it? This is a really... Oh, it's a really difficult one, I think, for recommend. And I've kind of been toying between a few of them. Because if I'm going to recommend a kind of horror thriller, then my pick would probably be Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear. Mm. But... I would want people to see these performances and I would want to highlight, you know, as we've said already, you know, it's a really, really strong directorial debut from good old Joel. So I don't want to just give it a one. So I'm giving it up. I'm going you with this. I'm being very niche with my marking. 1.1. 1.1. Oh, now the tables have turned. I've given it a one exactly. <laughs> Again, because I feel that the performances, the directing, should definitely be seen. In fact, I, uh, you know, I'd go out there and go, "You should watch the rest of Development," and you should also watch this to see, like, uh, to see this this horror performance yeah. from him. It's just fantastic. Um, but I wouldn't be trying to ram this down anyone's throat like I would be other films in. If if I thought someone might be kind of amenable to horror, and I think, yeah, I, I, I want to find something from this realm to go for it. I'm going old boy. Yeah, yeah. So, I think, one I think is fair. Yeah, and I think that kind of, the, the way you're saying, you know, if someone's amenable to horror, this is the kind of horror that people who say they don't like horror could watch and would be able to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. So finally, the all-important fear. fear factor. Fear factor. I've given it a one because I think... My, my initial feeling was I, I always felt I knew where this was going and that there was no point where I felt this is really tense enough. But then the more I thought back on it, the more I thought about the gift-giving and the framing of the gift and that kind mm. of sinister quality to it, I thought, actually, do you know what? The, the gifts themselves have actually got under my skin. <laughs> so it got boosted up to a one, but it's not enough to push it into kind of higher territory. Funny enough, I've done something similar. 
whilst we've been talking about it, I've, I've boosted it another 0.25 as to what I had. I had given it 1.25 because I thought, you know, Robin's performance alone, that has that has the tension and the fear and the questioning of what she's seeing that I, I bought into her fear on that. I thought that was, yeah. that was good. Like, it's not the scariest thing I've ever seen, but I bought into it. But you're right, thinking about those gifts and doing the old, uh, putting myself in that position. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're creepy as. So I've gone up to 1.5. Now, because I've been adjusting this as we've gone on... Then you're relying on the fact that terrible. you know I type this into a spreadsheet as we go. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, confirm. I've got no idea what I've given this. Okay, you've given it five point one out of ten. I think that's a fair score. Yeah, uh, I've gone five point eight, so we're both yeah. in the between five and six category, which fits so very I, I much think... with. It's, it's a it's a very good film. It, it's not quite. It's, it's not one we're going to come back to and go. This is a legendary horror. It's. Yeah. It's a good debut. Well acted, well directed, and there's things to enjoy in it. It's good. It's not a classic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it also, you know, I was thinking about this. You know, giving a film kind of five or six out of ten just by no means means that it's a bad film. You know, no. It it just it hasn't got that extra thing to push it into the. The Bone Tomahawk territory, the Midsummer territory, yeah, or you know the the thing, you know the thing. <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a good one actually. It's uh, hmm. probably the most debate we've had about one of uh, Nick's ones, and then basically come down on the same side of things. Although looking back, I think. I actually know this is pretty much par for the course. We were very similar on Ichi. We were very similar on our score for Creep. Um, yeah, we were very similar for Tetsuo as well. So, yeah, he gives us really interesting debate points that I always think we're oh, going to end up on different sides of and then come down, yeah, oh, wasn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. So thanks again, Nick. Yeah. Thank also, you. it's a horror. <laughs> shall we talk about our definitive horror or not as the case may be um, spoiler for what I thought of yours homeworks yes yes we should um, uh, do you want to go first I think I should as it's in keeping yeah. entirely you gave me a short story from um, Joe Hill you gave me uh, Bobby Conroy comes back from the dead I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I don't believe in giving spoilers about the homework. And this is a short story. And I really, really enjoyed it. You should put that out there yeah. as well. Um, but I would actually say it's not a horror in the slightest, but it is a sweet story for horror lovers. Yes. I, I'm glad that you liked it because when I gave it to you I was thinking I've never given you something that 
isn't horror yeah, yeah, this as is, a homework. This is a definite first for it, and it did catch so me off guard. So I hope you get something out of it. Yeah. Um, it's a short story using the backdrop of Night of the Living Dead in probably the coolest way possible, and completely capturing the cool of Romero and Savini, which also yeah. boosts it in my stories. But at the end of the day, it's just a story of, of reconnection and a really sweet story set in this... Mm at the background of this really cool horror film. So, yeah, yeah I, I think if you're a horror fan, you'll absolutely love it, but you won't come away thinking, oh, that's what a great horror that is. It's more like the uh, the companion piece for the person who can't get enough of that world, but just wants to see it in a slightly different light. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, no worries. You gave me a uh, a Reddit Mm-hmm. Short story. Um, short, eh? Sh- well, short. You gave me a Reddit story. Um, my wife and I brought a ranch, mm-hmm. and it is. I, I, I completely I agree with you. Well, I'm guessing you gave it to me because it's been picked up by Netflix. That's exactly why I gave it to you. Yeah, and I. I, I agree with your approach. We don't give spoilers for um, the homeworks. But I can... T- basically, for fans of Stephen King and, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, I think you could you could do a lot worse than reading uh, My Wife and I Brought a Ranch. Mm. It's a story about... Uh, an army vet and his wife buying a ranch. That is all I'm going to say, but imagine that was written by Stephen King. Um, <laughs> That's so accurate, dude. That really is. Yeah. And I I am really excited about the idea of of a Netflix yeah, I'm adaptation of this. Yeah. You know, it's... Hopefully will be better than um, the the only other kind of viral creation I can think of that got adapted which is the Slender Man uh, uh, yeah I've not actually seen seen it because of the gestation of it made me think oh, maybe I'll just skip that it, it was one of those that you can tell that by the time it came out any power mm. it might have had was gone it needed to uh, uh, it just needed to be man. a better thing oh, yeah but I, I'm really excited about my wife and I brought a ranch, and I had a really good old time reading that. Uh, and like, it kind of made me think of. Um, I could imagine someone reading it and believing it in yeah. the kind of if it had definitely if this had come out in the kind of early days of viral marketing online. If you're thinking like Blair Witch Project time, mm. if someone. Had, kind of put this out there, oh, people would have oh, been yeah, lapping it up. And you're yeah. quite right, and I, I hadn't considered it, but it's uh, it's El Bastardo's writing style as well. It's, he creates those worlds. That's why I think of him as El Bastardo, because of what he did mm. in Pet Cemetery and his writing there that makes you so empathetic towards the people you're reading about and the situations they're in, despite the clear otherness of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, glad you enjoyed yeah. that one, dude. And uh, yeah, maybe when the TV series comes out, we'll get to do one of the TV series and see how. Oh, I think so. I think so. 
Um, so no homeworks for next week because oh, we're at the end of our three. It's, so that means a special. Um, special, special. What can we? What could we possibly want to talk about after having spoken at length about the oh, gift really. and what it might pair well with? Yeah. What could we talk about after spending all this time discussing the theme of vengeance? What could we talk about? <laughs> We're going to have to talk about the trilogy, aren't we? We're going to have to talk about the Vengeance trilogy. Oh, yeah. And I am so goddamn excited about that. I'm very excited. Yeah. It's, it means that... I mean, good luck, Nick, editing that, because I'll tell you right now, if we ramble about one film... Yeah. Three films. Three films. Three films. Yeah. In depth. Oh, yeah. Don't do it. I can sense you're about to do something no, else. No, no, no. I will. Like, th- I this will, is the uh, lead into the Vengeance trilogy as well. Do something appropriate and then don't wait until afterwards and go, hey, just. Absolutely. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dream of it because this is important to give these episodes the respect that they deserve. So, all that is left for me to say is that uh, Gordo the Weirdo and Simon are bidding you farewell. Thank Smiley you. face. Well done. Bye! Bye.